0: Welcome to The Audacity to Persevere, a podcast owned by John Henry's Sisters. I am your host, Dr. Tanya. I am a licensed clinical psychologist, certified executive coach, and certified equity, diversity, and inclusion practitioner. Every week on this show, we will share bite-sized goodies for the mind and spirit as you travel along this little road called life. This podcast and website represents the opinions of Dr. Tanya and her guests to the show. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical and or mental health questions. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media establishes a doctor-client relationship. So let's get to it. Hello, and welcome to episode four of the Audacity to Persevere. I am your host, Dr. Tanya. So a good friend of mine shared with me an article um, that she read back in the day. And uh, so this article was written um, by Nikki Johnson Hurston, Uh, Esquire, Huston, sorry, Esquire, um, titled The Myth of the Good Negro. And my friend sent this to me because, I mean, my God, it has just been a week. And it feels like every week is a week. The shooting of Ralph um, Jarl a 16 year old child who made the mistake of going to the wrong home to pick up his siblings. First and foremost, I am am grateful that the young man um, survived the shooting uh, despite an intentional gunshot um, to the head, gunshot wound to the head by the perpetrator and that he um, is released from the the hospital. I am thoroughly, uh, Dr. Tine, go keep it real, I'm pissed. I'm very pissed. That baby did not deserve that. No one deserves to be murdered for showing up at the wrong home. No one's life should be snuffed out because of someone else's... I I don't know. I, I don't know what was in the heart and mind of his shooter. And What really ticked me off about what happened was all these narratives that came up about how he, uh, Ralph, comes from a good family and was, you know, is a good kid and active in his school and well-liked and, uh, you know, dressed well and well-mannered as if to say, if he didn't look a certain way, move in a certain way, that the harm that was inflicted on him would have been justified. And I reject that. That's absolutely BS. And my friend and I, we were just talking about this whole concept of the good Negro, right? That. Well, if you talk a certain way, move in a certain way, um, dress in a certain way, that it will protect you from racism, that it will protect you from harm, from bigotry, from discrimination. And we were having this discussion that the whole concept of the good negro is a myth that no nothing none of those things will protect you from systemic racism from racism and discrimination that continues to be peddled and perpetualized and commercialized and capitalized on for political and monetary gain. Full stop. And so she sent me this article and I read it and, you know, kudos. This was written in um, 2015. And we began discussing about the whole concept of respectability politics right and so this term respectability um, politics um, is credited to evelyn brooks um, higginbotham um, in her 1993 book righteous discontent um, the women's movement in the black baptist church and according to that book as well as the dictionary.com actually. Uh, respectability politics is defined as a set of beliefs holding that conformity to prescribed mainstream standards of appearance and behavior will protect a person who is part of a marginalized group, especially a Black person, from prejudices and systemic injustices. So back in Uh, 1895, Uh, famed poet uh, Paul Lawrence Dunbar wrote uh, a popular um, poem that is generally taught in a lot of African-American schools. Um, I remember learning about it, I think, when I was in sixth grade. And the title of it is We Wear the Mask. And he talks about, in this poem, the experience of having to hide who you truly are as a black person to survive. How to dim down your culture, your light, your way of being, your way of seeing the world Because to not do so could cost you not only your freedom, also economic um, penalties, if you will, um, but also your very life. And I don't care if Ralph could have had the whole saggy bottom jeans and goat teeth and whatever. I do not care. That baby did not deserve that. Right? But you have some people trying to rationalize or look for an excuse, victim blaming, which we saw quite a bit um, with the deaths of, for example, Brianna, with Tamir, um, with Trayvon. No black woman wants to give birth to a martyr. No woman in general. And our babies, our children, are navigating a world in which their peers, and we teach them, and we tell them, be yourself. Be authentic. And we mean that. At the same time, We are also fully aware that some people's hatred, ignorance, insecurity may try everything possible to shut down that authenticity, shut down. A normal process that we all go through when we're trying to discover who we are. And young children, young black children, a lot of times they are denied that opportunity to fully experience childhood because a lot of times we are focused on survival, making sure they live to see adulthood. And that is not what parents want, right? And so the whole concept of respectability politics, one, it doesn't work. There's a cost that is paid when we engage in respectability politics. And the cost is, a, a lot of times, our, our mental well-being, our spiritual well-being, our ability to connect with others, our ability to really connect and fully love and appreciate ourselves. And back in 1903, some of you may be familiar with um, famed educator W.E.B. Dubois. Um, who, in his *The Souls of Black Folk*, talked about this double consciousness that Black people generally have to operate in, right? A twoness. Um, he says an American, an American, a Negro, two souls, two thoughts, two unreconciled strivings, two warring ideals, in one dark body, whose dogged strength alone keeps it from being torn asunder. And so Black folks, we, and I say we because long before I got these degrees and all that, I was and I still am a proud Black woman. And there are times in my career where I have had to kind of play both roles, if you will. And doing so was stressful. I am not gonna lie, but it was done out of necessity. Just like a lot of you may feel that you have to out of necessity. And after a while, according to some of the work that I've done with people, things I've observed with my peers, Some of my friends, you may start to think that your ability to do the whole respectability respectability politicking, it's what's saving you. But at what cost? At what cost? If you are in an environment where you have to think four or five times over about if you should wear your hair in locks or in braids, oh wait, you got that big presentation coming up so you can't do either one of those, you might want to go ahead and straighten and press that. What does that do to your spirit? What does that do to your overall sense of well being? Especially if that is what you are called to. And each one of us, we have this innate sense of wanting to belong to something. And a lot of us, that may manifest in terms of creativity, it may manifest in terms of expression. Well, if the way you express yourself is not accepted or may get uh, mm, pursed lips, (laughs) right? From your colleagues, are you really showing up? And don't, don't get me wrong, I understand bills gotta be paid. And a lot of times we do what we have to do So I am not in any way saying deny your reality in terms of what you feel you must do in order to survive. This is not about shaming. This is not about what you should and should not do. This is about how to still maintain your sense of self, your sense of wholeness in spite of systemic racism, in spite of the performative actions of those who really do not want you to show up, but a more smaller you to make themselves feel more comfortable. I'm personally, I'm not a fan of respectability politics. That's, you know, we talk about, for example, I've written about code switching, um, that is exhausting. Um, we talk about, uh, how a lot of times, Uh, When people talk about, for example, executive presence, which, by the way, that is a trigger for me, I'm working on it. Because a lot of times we talk about executive presence with respect to ethnic racial minorities and women and people who are a member of the LGBT plus community as assimilation. Again, that whole respectability politic. So, how can you still maintain your sense of self in spite of? One of my favorite uh, quotes is by Andre Lord, where she says that basically um, self care is a form of political warfare. I don't think a better statement has ever been said self-care caring for yourself and how you see yourself as part of your culture as part of your identity how do you still nurture that in spite of these external pressures these external expectations that you be anything other Than your beautiful melanated self. So, I'm gonna give you a couple tips that I have found helpful, and maybe you'll find it um, helpful as well. One, how I, I find it helpful to have visual reminders of the culture um, on my person and how I dress and my workspace, right? Even if it's a screensaver, um, or I have a small, uh, framed quote from Toni Morrison's um, novel that says, you know, if you want to fly, you got to give up the, the shit that weighs you down. So I have those little pieces in my environment at work that helped me, that helped me to stay connected. I will have some Afrocentric jewelry at times that may be strategically placed on my person. Um, so seeing those visual reminders. Are important to me it's important to me um, to see that because in a lot of spaces let's keep it real there aren't that many black psychologists out there and so the environments where I've tended to have to navigate if I'm not the only trust I'm not one of many and so it's important to see those reminders of who I really am right and to have pride in that. And so I again, I just find it helpful to see those things um, just to help me stay connected. So I'm a very visual person so that tends to work well for me. The second thing is, I am unapologetic claiming my daily joy. Every day, I am going to laugh about something. I'm going to smile about something. I am going to claim my rightful birthright to experience joy in this lifetime and to not always expose myself to trauma, to horrible things just to demonstrate that I am connected to the culture, to the community. Our community, our culture is more than just trauma, right? And so we need to have those reminders and stay connected to we are more than just pain. We are more than just hurt and anger, We feel those things too. Y'all heard me say I was PO'd earlier, right? We are also strength. We are also fortitude. We are also creativity. We are also good at finding a way to thrive in spite of, right? So I will... I told a friend many years ago, like, I can't stand chitlins. I mean, I'm sorry. Can't stand it. Whenever I, when I was a kid, I would come home and it was around the holidays. And if I saw that red bucket sitting in the sink in the kitchen, I'd just be mad because I just could not stand the smell of it. I thought it was gross. Ew. Right? And when you think about the fact that when African Americans were enslaved, given the remnants, the dis the disgusting, the the afterthoughts of of the pig, of other animals, that we took literally the entrails of an animal, and we whipped that sucker up so bad, so sweet so good that is a delicacy right and so taking something that was meant to be an insult to be an afterthought and turning it into something good so i told my friend some years ago i was like yeah you know we need to make some chitlins out of this right and we were talking about like a really bad situation, right? We got we got to find a way to make some chitlins out of it. And that's what we do. Now, it doesn't minimize that we still feel things. Absolutely not. But again, we are more than just hurt. We are so much more. And so I am intentional in claiming that more on a daily basis. I, while I'm not a religious person per se, I'm a very spiritual person. And I like to think that when I am laughing, when I dance, that it is music to the ancestors. That their sacrifices their toils was not in vain and me claiming my joy my happiness even in the midst of BS frankly and that is how I describe systemic racism it is what it is but to claim that in the midst of it now yeah, that's I, I think the ancestors are proud of that right and so that brings me to the third point so spirituality and religiosity are two separate things right religion is more about kind of an organized set of beliefs if you will and spirituality is more of a sense of being connected a sense of purpose um, and one of the things that is often lauded as a a protective factor for African American populations is this sense of spirituality, the sense of connectedness to something bigger, the sense of purpose, and even religiosity, right? That sense of community, so, another thing that I personally do to help me move through and, you know, pretty much say I'm not playing the respectability politics game with folks is to connect with my spirituality, the sense of purpose. It generally, I find it uh, to help ground me personally, um, and I have a good number of folks that I've worked with who wouldn't necessarily describe themselves as religious, but they do seek solace and finding a purpose in what they're experiencing. And so, with respect to claiming that that self care that joy, in spite of, a lot of them will tap into spirituality um, and also a sense of community to do so. So respectability, politics, there's a cost. There are things that you can do to hopefully offset some of that cost. And I've mentioned a few right here that I personally have used, um, some that have been cited in uh, the journals, peer-reviewed journals, as best practices, all of that to be helpful. And things that I've been a, a psychologist for a good number of years. And so things that I have observed and learned and um, helped my clients over the years kind of built up that build up that resilience factor um, by doing some of these things now it's not a cure-all it doesn't mean you are not going to feel any pain or hurt or anger not at all it is about you moving closer to unapologetically claiming your joy, your happiness, in spite of. It's about you rejecting the notion of, as what was shared in this article, um, of the whole good Negro. That's a myth, as the author noted in her, her article. you have to be intentional in your mental health, especially in times like this. Especially when it feels as though to be yourself, to take pride in your heritage and your community and your family is an affront. One of um, my favorite quotes is by Lavi Ajayi. She says essentially, don't make yourself small for other people to to swallow. Let them choke. Now, I'm not saying figurative, you know, to you know, literally have people choke or figuratively, you know, whatever. But it's more about do for you, your mental health, your well being, you taking care of yourself. Do away with the whole notion of respectability uh, politics in the sense that of it being a protective factor. It doesn't. You still need to probably need to maneuver your workplace, your environment in a way to get the bills paid in terms of, uh, is a form of, survival. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about respectability politics in that a person takes that notion and identifies it with it. That is who they are. That is what they must become. So being able to separate who you are from the the how You must maneuver in order to reach your goals. In order to put food on the table. Those are two separate things. We all have to play the game in one way or another. But you get to decide how. And that is being unapologetic. That is an intentional, focused maneuver to say we're not doing respectability politics anymore. We are about claiming our joy. We are about loving our families, loving our communities, in spite of. So with that, thank you for tuning in, remember to be well, stay unapologetic, and claim your joy. That is your birthright. Take care. Thanks for tuning in, and if there's a topic you want us to cover in a future episode, please send us an email at johnhenrysisters at gmail.com. That is J-O-H-N-H-E-N-R-Y-S-S-I-S-T-E-R-S at gmail.com. For more information regarding John Henry's Sisters, check out our website at www.johnhenrysisters.com We're also on Facebook as John Henry's Sisters, Instagram at Dr. Tanya underscore J-H-S, and Twitter at John Henry's Sis. Until next time, be well and stay unapologetic.